HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Welcome to Feast Your Ears. I'm Harry Rosenblum, and I love to talk with people about what they do and how it influences their personal food stories. This is a show about people, life, and food. If you're just tuning in for the first time, all the previous episodes can be found in the archives at heritageradionetwork.org. I'm thankful for listeners like you, and I'd love it if you'd leave me a review wherever you find this podcast. For those of you with kids at home, I've been working on a new podcast here at Heritage Radio Network. Along with my co-host, Hannah Forden, the program manager at HRN, we've created Time for Lunch, a fun, food-focused show for kids. We're aiming to release a new episode every week, and we'd love it if you'd check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Today's themes, shifting gears. Today is April 27th, 2020, and I've been home with my family for 49 days. We're mostly eating things we cook at home, going through the pantry and finding that long-lost can of tomatoes or the nearly empty jar of miso in the back of the fridge. It sometimes feels a little like spring cleaning. I often wonder if I'll use up all of a can or a jar of something I buy, and I always feel like it was worth it if I do end up using it. Once a week or so, we get takeout from one of the restaurants still open that we want to try and support, because we can't quite imagine what a post-COVID world would look like if we can't get our favorite foods we don't make at home. Last week, I had to be in Providence and realized I could pick up dinner at Big King Restaurant. I'd eaten there once in person earlier in the year and loved it. Self-described as a small, weird restaurant, it was everything I like. Comfortable, easygoing, Japanese-influenced ingredients and service style without any pretense. A chef's counter so you can ask questions and interact with the cooks, bartenders, and other staff, as well as your neighbors at the counter. And to top it all off, they had a killer sake and shochu list and the staff knowledge to back it up. Now, like so many restaurants who've decided to stay open at this time, they're only doing takeout, and it has to be pre-ordered and picked up at a specified time, just like a reservation for a table. 
They're also offering bottles from their list for takeaway as well. And this really got me excited because at retail, good sake and shochu are still woefully hard to find outside of a few specialty liquor stores. So I doubled down, ordering four bentos for me and my family and a few bottles of the good stuff to bring home. A few days later, I caught up with James Mark, the chef and owner of Big King, as well as North Restaurant, also in Providence, and I spoke with him about what it looks like to move from dine-in service only to takeout only, and what the future might hold for restaurants like his. My name is James Mark. Uh, I am the uh, chef and owner of Big King Restaurant, Providence, Rhode Island. I also own North Restaurant, and I was the founding chef at uh, North Restaurant. Awesome. Uh, and I, I have to say, I've been to both. Uh, I went to North when it was in the space where Big King is now. And I've been to North oh, cool. Dean Hotel, and I've been to Big King. Uh, and I love the I love the style of food that you present. Um, I've traveled to Japan Thanks. many times. I work with a Japanese knife company. And, uh, you know, so finding that kind of stuff here in the States, I really like to have that feeling of kind of being in a local Japanese restaurant, which is the only way I can describe Big King to people. Yeah, no, we try to like be, we try to do like really good food, but just keep things like casual and easy and not stuffy at all um, when we are open uh, for for the dining room, <laughs> right. which, um, you know, we're not right now, but uh, is, you know, we'll, we'll get back there eventually, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would love to talk just briefly about what your kind of like history in food is. I mean, how did you come to the point of, of having a restaurant like Big King, um, which for people who don't know about it or, or have never been there, is a small restaurant? I mean, how many seats do you have in there? Uh, Big King has 21 seats. Yeah, I mean, and, um, and like half of those are at a bar, right? Yeah, uh, more than half, actually. Yeah. Um, about... 13 or 13 at the bar eight eight at table um and so when i you know when i say that it feels like being in japan i mean when you travel in japan you find restaurants at least i've been to restaurants pretty much all over that country where i've been that are very small that have a very comfortable feeling you get greeted when you walk in the door and serve kind of whatever's available whatever's fresh um they're not stuffy there's you know but the food is excellent the drinks are are good and you know flow easily and uh people you know both working and eating seem to be having a good time and i've definitely you know had that experience at big king um and i just you know what what led you to create that kind of environment in a essentially residential neighborhood uh out of the way in providence sure so um the space at big king's in now um used to be uh the home of our, our our first restaurant north and we had about 30 seats in it originally um we moved that downtown because we really didn't make any money in that in, mm. uh, in that space um we basically were on tour we were the busiest restaurant that didn't make any money in <laughs> maybe in the country <laughs> um it was a uh, consistent you know, weekday even like two hour waits. Um, but what that meant was that like, we didn't sell a lot of, um, booze, um, for drinks in general. And it really hurt our bottom line, uh, and made it really hard to do what we did. Um, the kind of food we did, uh, and the food that we, and use the product that we bought right. from like people that we know. I was just reading, uh, Gabrielle Hamilton, uh, wrote an opinion piece in the times about prune and mm. having to close it where she says that for the last 10 years, she feels like she's worked in the nonprofit sector because the restaurant has basically oh, yeah. just broken. Yeah. In. Yeah. I mean, like I, last year I just did my taxes last year. I made $26,000. Wow. 
like that, that was my salary and, and you probably worked restaurant. what like a hundred hours a week minimum yeah yeah i mean i i've basically even now or now more than ever actually i work seven days a week yeah. i'm lucky to get you know uh uh you know a couple nights off right but there I'm, I'm working every day yeah um and so it, it, it's uh it was a struggle for a long time um we we moved north downtown um to make it to have more seats basically be able to cover do more covers but not even really do more covers but to reduce the wait times for guests mm-hmm. so that um they stopped spend like they would they're spending the same amount of money yeah but instead of spending it uh you know for two hours at a bar nearby uh and then just getting food with us right. they're instead spending it all at the restaurant and, you know and like yeah. that's not nefarious it's like okay so you go out to eat and like you don't have to wait two hours for dinner. That's normal. That's right. great. No, and you can, you can like buy, you can buy a bottle of wine. You can like have two cocktails instead of like feeling a little too heavy over after one, you know? Yeah. So, uh, that, 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 that was really the impetus for moving. Um, and we were, when how that deal went down, how that move went down, we didn't have, we basically had to sign, re-sign a lease at, uh, three Longer square, the West side space, the smaller mm-hmm. space, um, about 30 days before we signed this, the lease on the downtown space. <laughs> I see. And so we weren't, I wasn't sure if like the downtown space was going to like be, I was pretty sure it was going to get confirmed, but you know, you never know what these things like sure. they can, they can always go south real fast. So we re-signed the space at Three Longo Square, and then it sat empty for about six months while we were uh, uh, when, while we moved north into the new space. Um, we actually like moved it really fast. We there's only like two days of downtime in between wow. uh, uh, the restaurant being open at Three Longo and the restaurant being open downtown. Um, but then it was, there was a lot of like work that went into it afterwards of like just figuring out the new systems and whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, so it's it's not closed for about, well, probably about 10, nine months total, hmm. six to nine months, somewhere in between there. Um, and about halfway into that, like about three months into, uh, it being closed, you know, I started seriously thinking about like what we wanted to do in it. Um, afterwards, um, I had originally thought of doing like a noodle shop, um, because we just started really getting into like making our own noodles, which we still do at North. Um, uh, but a friend had come in right before we had moved and was like, you know what? If you're going to have like 20 seats in a restaurant, um, you might as, you, you should probably take reservations. <laughs> um, and I was like, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> and if we're going to take reservations, maybe a noodle shop doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and it, it came with the idea that like, all right, like we want to do this thing. Um, but like, if we can't, if we don't want to like have like the frenzied chaos of like what we had before, um, of like just like being completely full all the time. Yep. And you know, I'm I'm getting older now. Like I had done that for five six years. I was like kind of over it. <laughs> um, like that that chaotic energy. Um, and I was like, okay, let's take reservations. 
let's try to do something like softer and quieter um, and, you know, a little more, uh, you know, North is a very like extroverted restaurant. Mm -hmm. It it, it, it lives on that like little bit of chaos. Um, It drives energy from it. And I wanted a space that could feel a little more introverted, a little more like self-reflective. Um, I wanted to be able to cook different styles of food in the sense that like be able to like put something on the plate that was like two or three ingredients and like really feature like the relationships that we had with our, with our uh, farmers. Yep. Um, so that was really huge for me. Um, and that, that's really what spurred North or spurred Big King rather. Yeah. Um, and then it was, you know, taking, I started thinking about like, okay, well, like what kind of food are we going to do? And, you know, I had been to a bunch of Ezekiahs. I'd been to, you know, not true Kaseke, but like tasting many places in Japan. And I understood what Kaseke was, um, to a degree. And my problems with both Kaseke and Ezekiahs was that at least in America and our idea of them, um, what that food is, is like kind of like put to a box a little bit. For sure. Um, uh, and I think true like with, in Izakaya's in America, the food's definitely put into a certain box. It's like there's certain dishes you have on the menu. Um, and with Kaseke, there's so much formality to it and there's, um, so much specific order of things, mm-hmm. um, that, I, I, I didn't feel comfortable doing it. Yeah, it's um, not the way Americans eat either. Yeah, well, yeah, and then like, like unless you understand what's going, why they're putting these dishes up, you don't appreciate the dish, <laughs> which is like a lot to ask from any diner, <laughs> but it's like part of the culture in Japan, so like it makes more sense over there. Um, what I settled on was like doing what. Uh, is like known as capo, um, basically cook and serve. Um, it lives somewhere in between like the casualness of an ezekaya and like the formality of, of a keseke uh, restaurant. Um, and so like we do two set menus every night. Um, one is four dishes, one is six dishes. Um, there's no overlap between the two. Um, uh, there's a few a la carte items that you can add on if you'd like. Um, but, it takes the seasonality um, of Kaseke um, and kind of takes itself a little less seriously. Um, things are hopefully like inherently delicious instead of like uh, intellectually, solely intellectually delicious. <laughs> right. Um, and, and the, at- the atmosphere uh, is very convivial. I mean, you know, I, I found yeah. it to be a really fun place to dine. I mean, I, you know, I sat at the counter the last time I was there with my wife and, you know, mm-hmm. just being able to have a rapport with the chef behind the counter was great. And, you know, the people mm-hmm. sitting next to us clearly were friends with some of your staff. So like, it already felt like we were kind of like at somebody, not like a party, but like they, they all knew each other, obviously. And so yeah, the, the, yeah. the I feeling mean, have... of it very comfortable, um, and we were able to order, you know, we ordered both sets and between the two of us, we split mm-hmm. it and then we ordered one thing a la carte and it was plenty of food and it wasn't pretentious and it wasn't overbearing. And, you know, it really did highlight the, you know, highlight that we, we talked about one of the dishes just a couple of nights ago. Um, it was a dish that had kabocha squash 
uh and you know we 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 you know we remember it obviously and we eat a lot of meals and you know like cool. sometimes you don't remember dishes from a specific meal yeah yeah and i mean and that's what it really comes down to for us like we wanted to have a restaurant where we were cooking food um that was hyper local and hyper specific to like our air to our microclimate so like we like all of our produce comes from farmers we know um 95 percent of it comes from like one of two farms uh all of our meat comes from one guy uh one farmer uh you know all of our fish comes from uh one guy at the docks who works with a couple different boats but like you know all comes from the same place yeah um and and you know our sake is from all over japan and you know we get and oil like we're not like crazy like that we're like we're making our own salt to make our own oil or things like that but you know you know and you know we we will occasionally use like some citrus here or there but like at the end of the day it's like not really our focus yeah. um and just like we're really proud of the relationships we've built with our farmers over the years um and this restaurant is a, a really great place i feel like for us to showcase it yeah. And I personally really appreciate that you guys have a really great sake and shochu selection. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, obviously there are plenty of places in New York where you can get a decent selection, but I still feel like, you know, they're two of my favorite beverages and I think they go so well with food and there's so much variety. But unfortunately in the United States, I feel like because they're both clear for the most part, people don't have the willingness to kind of drink them and have as much understanding across the board. I think that there's a lot of that is changing, uh, and I'm sure that you've done a lot in your restaurants to expose people to more types of sake and other and other drinks. But you know, I love both of those with food, and so it's nice to have a a place that you know you can go when you guys are open again, uh, where you can try yeah, a lot of different yeah. stuff off of a menu. Uh, you know. Because at least in in my experience, the time that I've spent in Providence and in Rhode Island, there's not that much sake and shochu available. Yeah, no, I mean for me, I, I, I'm very comfortable in saying that. Like in New England, we have like the best list yep. for sake and shochu. Sure that's true. Like very very comfortable of saying that. Um, we we put a lot of effort into it. We put a lot of um, you know a lot of work. We have really tight relationships with importers that help us a lot. Um, and we do a lot of work with education. Yeah. Um, you know, like my, one of my favorite things to do is turn a person that like walks into the restaurant and is like unsure about getting a sake pairing and be like, I don't think I like sake because they had like a bad experience with it like 15 years ago or 10 years ago and turning the, and then giving them, having them try something and be like, Oh wow, this is really good. And then having them try two other sakes and like really enjoying those two as well. And, you know, the way I look at sake is it's, it's a category as deep as wine or beer. You know, like, you know what? I don't love, like, giant, juicy, you know, IPAs. They're not my thing. But that doesn't mean I don't like beer. Yeah. <laughs> it just means, like, I don't like that particular style. And, like, you know, I don't like certain styles of wine. And, like, that's okay, you know? Um, and so, sake is the same way. Like, there are... You're not going to love every kind, but there are it's delicious and there's you're gonna find one for you um we offer two pairings every night um one is a three glass pairing or three pairings now one is a three glass pairing one is a five glass pairing and um one is a six glass pairing it's like premium stuff off of our reserve list and you know it's 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 cool to like 
you know, with the five glass pairing, let's say, to like pour five distinctly different sakes, pair them with five different dishes for people, and have them, you know, and have them understand and you know, open their minds a little bit to like the possibilities of this beverage. Um, you know, a big part of like what we do is is try to provide an experience that like you can't have anywhere else. And whether that's in where we source our ingredients from or how we treat those ingredients. But then you look at things like, which is like all the ethos of like localism in general. Um, but then you also like look at uh, sake and which it's all being imported from Japan. And it's like, well, the way we take that turn is like, well, you know, we are going to like have the deepest list, the most curated list that like can really showcase the breadth of the, these things. And then we can also talk to you about them. Uh, and really like have a discussion with you, like why you like this, why you don't like this, um, and find something that you love. And that kind of experience, I think, um, is really unique to uh, our restaurant, at least in New England. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists, to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners, to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. When was the last uh, meal service in your restaurants? Uh, sometime in March. Um, March... I don't even know anymore. <laughs> um, it, it was like March 14th. Cool. Actually. Yeah. yeah and, March 14th. Yeah. Um, and how are you and your staff holding up in, in all of this? How's everybody doing? Um, well, it's a mixed bag, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, on one hand, uh, I mean, this sucks. <laughs> There's no way around that. Okay. I'd much be rather be open. Yep. Um, but you know, I'm I'm eight years into owning my own restaurant. I'm coming up on two decades of being in the industry, and there's something that comes with that experience of like understanding that, like, you know, you got to detach yourself a little bit. Mm. You know. If we're trying our hardest right now, and I can go into like what we're doing now, but mm-hmm. like if it works out, it works out, and that's great. If it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. Right. And 
the thing that makes like Big King special is not necessarily like the individual pieces in this in 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 the restaurant. It's not it's not the room, although the room is beautiful and I'm really proud of it. It's not like it's not the existence of Big King. It's the people behind it, and those people for them are going to be there, mm-hmm. um, continue to be there. You know, even if the business closes, right? And just because something ends um, doesn't mean that we can't do something beautiful next time around, right? Absolutely. Um, or, or that someone else will do something beautiful next time around. Yeah. Um, and carrying that with you, there, there are certain things that just can't be helped. You know, <laughs> COVID nineteen is a natural disaster. Yep. It's earth. It's an earthquake. It's a hurricane. It's a no. It's it's something along those lines where it's like, you know what? The, there wasn't anything we could do to prepare for it. You know, on an individual basis. Yeah. Um, you know, if it causes us to fail, it's not our own failings. Yeah. Um, so I carry that with me and try to like keep myself. Uh, not too stressed out about it all. Yeah. So you guys have shifted gears, and now both at North and Big King, you're doing takeout. But essentially, yep. it's very similar to the reservation system, right? I think you're using the same system. Mm-hmm. So you have to make a reservation for your takeout for pickup. Yep. Um, and there's only a certain number a day, and then you're selling uh, you know, bottles of sake and stuff off your list to go along with it. Yep. Um, how you know how do you how is that going like have you guys hit on like a rhythm and a stride with that uh, you know as far as like yeah, the dishes no, and definitely. how things are getting put together yeah no we feel i'm very comfortable with the food that we're serving right now i'm actually like really happy with it um because it's actually a lot less compromising than it could be mm. <laughs> um we're using all the same farmers yep. we're using all the same like produce all the same quality meat all the same fish uh we're just putting it in a box now. And I mean, my family and I were yeah. very impressed with what you guys put in a box and what what I brought home the other day. Yeah. And, you know, I have cool. to say that it like, you know, as far as the food and the style of cooking, and it reminded me of eating in the restaurant. And I, I you know, wanted to commend you and your staff for that because what I, you know, I've been reading about a lot of other restaurants that have kind of shifted to maybe a focus on, uh, you know, uh, for lack of a better way would people are calling comfort food, right? Like a restaurant that maybe never made mac and cheese is now doing takeout mac and cheese and not to disparage that at all. I mean, you know, if that's what your customers want, that's what your customers want. But I think that it's really great of you guys to be able to continue to support the ecosystem in which you live and not kind of have shifted away from that. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something we said that we, we locked out. I mean, North is different. North, like the dishes at North, many of them, go in a box well i mean it's Mm -hmm. like noodles do really well over there um at big king we got lucky because like we do bentos and it's kind of a bento you know it's not a true bento box like the actual box itself but it's the it's the idea behind it and and like so that was actually an easy transition for us because it was just taking you know the Domburi, like rice bowl, as normally on our menu, and transitioning that to a bento format. Yeah. Um, and it's it taking a few different components from the typical meal here, you know, and 
just can like can concentrating them all down into like a single box. Uh, that's, and, and so it was, is, is, you know, I have a friend in town who has a fine dining restaurant and like, like I was talking to him yesterday. And I was like, I have no idea what his restaurant should be cooking. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's like the food he does normally makes absolutely no sense to be like in, in a box. Um, you know, whereas, you know, we, are you know uh, have a multi-course menu but one of those courses is a rice bowl and yeah. that transitions really easily so uh so yeah we, we kind of got lucky with that um and then yeah i mean sake and shochu sales have been great um we transitioned to just moving to retail pricing mm-hmm. um which sucks you know honestly you, you make a lot less money on it but yeah. we're competing against liquor stores and I understand that and you know we we move more volume um than we would otherwise so you know we'll take whatever we can get the the math on all of this is the hardest part Mm. is just trying to figure out the math um and how much money we are making and how much money we need to make and what kind of sales we need to do um just because like there's no data and it's like a completely different menu or it's completely different financial model yeah i mean it's like basically like you decided on one day to completely change and do a completely different model that wasn't even one that you could look to anybody else and say how did this really work yeah right i mean you'd spent years figuring out what worked on the menu and what the pricing looked like and what sakes you were going to serve by the glass and all that and then suddenly here you are having to upend all of that with a different business model that there's no precedent for how is it going? I mean, what's your sense? Like, is this something that you guys can keep doing for a while and have, you know, have it work and have it, you know, be financially stable? I mean, it's our only choice. <laughs> it's the sure. only option. <laughs> um, so we're going to make it keep going with it yeah. um, as long as we can. Uh, I mean, I didn't pay my rent. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, that that's like the real, like, tough part about it is that you know we're paying rents on a space that is 80% dining room 20% kitchen yeah and 80% of our space is basically useless right um it's much more apparent at north than it is Mm -hmm. at big king because it's a bigger restaurant Mm -hmm. but that's the thing that really kills us um on rent and, and that's the thing that like if we're in for a long-term shutdown which it looks like we are and even with a partial dining room opening like that math makes it's really tough right um it's gonna make for a really hard year yeah um there might be some ways around it um you know there's you have to diversify your income streams. And like, if we have a partial dining room shutdown, um, you know, when we are allowed to reopen, um, in the sense that like takeaway is going to be part of what we do now. Right. Uh, going forward. Right. Where it wasn't, uh, no matter it wasn't what. part of your business model previously. No, especially at big King yeah. you know, and North, 
we barely did any any of it. It was like basically for people that like knew it existed. You could eat, like we had we had a, a non published phone line that like people could call Got and like order takeaway, or, or they could like walk into the restaurant and order takeaway. But like you know, it wasn't like it was maybe like two percent of our sales. Um, and now it's all of our sales, right. and so so you know you know. That's why I was re- I really pushed hard for us to you know we were close for completely close for about a week, and it's the reason why I pushed really hard for us to reopen as quickly as possible with takeaway. Once we figure out a safe way of doing it, yeah. was that like you know we were going to have to figure this out one way or another, mm-hmm. um, and we could either figure it out now or we could figure it out later. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, let's just figure this out now, get it going. Um, and we'll move on from there. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we have a leg up once like we are allowed to partially reopen. And then as far as, you know, th- the future, I mean, you know, so one of the things I've been having lots of conversations with people I know both in food and outside food about what the reopening of places like restaurants looks like and, you know, and trying to think about it myself, right? Like w- at what point will I feel comfortable sitting six inches from someone at a counter like in Big King, which, you know, two months ago was I wouldn't even have given it a second thought to just squeeze in yeah. right next to somebody who I don't know on one side of me and have some, you know, have my wife on the other side. And, you know, now I, I don't really know. I don't know what, you know, psychologically needs to happen or physically or like what makes that, you know, kind of okay. I mean, on the one extreme, I think of like the isolation booths in ramen places in Japan where you're mm-hmm. like sitting alone, in like, you know, with a wall on either side of you and thinking, well, that's yep. one sort of extreme of what these restaurants could look like. Or, you know, is it that you have to leave and maybe it becomes mandated? I don't know. Municip- you know, by the municipality, you have to leave an empty seat between each party or something. I yeah. Know. So, I mean, what we're hoping is going to happen. I mean, well, you have like the, the two year, year and a half window where it's like the the vaccine becomes commonly available and we're good to go. You know, that's, that's, that's the year and a half window. Um, but in between now and then there's two ways of looking at it. Um, I'm working with like one of our, uh, builders, uh, to like develop like some kind of like movable partition Mm. made out of, uh, like plexi or something like that that can like attach to counters and bars. Um, that throws up like a transparent, uh, you know, wall in yep. between parties. Yep. Uh, but you know, you know, if it ends up being like the state says, Hey, you have to like leave a physical 18 inches between parties or whatever, then that's what we do. Right. Um, and that sucks because like, you know, that cuts my seating down from, from 21 seats to basically like, I don't know. I didn't do the math, but like right. 12 maybe. Right. Yeah. or 15 yep. um, depending on how parties like, come in yep. and that's that's really hard I, I don't even know how my reservation system is going to accommodate for that right. but if that's what we have to do then that's what we have to do yeah. um, you know at the end of the day like we want people to come in and feel comfortable Yeah, there's Obviously. no other way around it right. like there's no point and, and then the takeout is still going to be an income stream that we need to like offer yep yeah. um because like there's no point in making in like offering an experience that people are uncomfortable with. Yeah. Just does there's no there's no purpose to that. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, and so like, like it, you can pipe dream all you want about like what of like, you know, something coming down the line or whatever, but I'm, I'm, I'm firmly in the camp of preparing for the worst. Yep. Assuming, assuming that you're going to get the worst. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, along, along those lines, have you applied for and have you had any luck with any of the, you know, the government, uh, you know, payroll protection program or the EIDL? Uh, I've gotten, uh, the $10,000 EIDL grant. Okay. Um, that was, uh, offered um i applied for ppp i'm not super comfortable with it uh just because the forgiveness terms like there's like some very gray hiring practices that you could do in order to achieve the forgiveness yep but the reality is by june 30th i think there's no way in heck that we're gonna be able to reach full employment without doing some very shady hiring practices. Yeah. And it, but like, I don't like, if I'm going to be taking a loan of like six figures or more, like I don't want to, have to rely on doing like kind of gray market, like anything. Sure. <laughs> I want, I want it to be clear cut because yeah. it just makes me really uncomfortable otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think the way that unfortunately, and it's just becoming more and more clear every day, not just with, how the large corporations and publicly traded corporations with millions of dollars in the bank ended up being able to kind of skip the line to get access to that PPP money, but that it really wasn't well thought out for businesses that operate like restaurants. Um, and and yeah, no, I mean, I don't know. Getting back to full I, I don't think will it, take a long time. And so, yeah, and I don't think, I don't think it, it's really designed for restaurants at all, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's designed for a certain kind of restaurant maybe, but re- in reality it's designed for like retail stores. Yep. It's designed for like newspaper companies. It's designed for like, right. you know, jobs that like people can telecommute from or jobs that like don't require constant like person to person contact. Yep. Um, yeah. So like, I mean, I get it. I understand why it exists. I'm, I'm not like, I, I know of a couple of companies that like it's really helped out a lot that aren't restaurants. Mm-hmm. So I'm like not hating on it or anything like that. Sure. And my accountants like call me and tell me it's free money, but it's like, <laughs> I, I just, it, it makes me really uncomfortable. Right. It, um, no such thing so as a free lunch. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to say that like we aren't going to take it if right. we do get offered the money. Sure. Um, but, I just think that it's like a tough thing. It, it's it's not it's not as cut and dry as people think it is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to, to chat with me. Um, I have a lot of respect yeah, of for what you know you and your teams are doing, have done in the past, are continuing to do now. Um, and you know, I wish you guys absolutely the best. Um, you know, moving forward. Thanks. Um, Very much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, is there anything? Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you would like people to know about Big King or North or about the services you guys are offering? Uh, no, just like keep on checking in social media and all that stuff because we always are changing things and you know expanding the menu and as as soon as we figure things out, we're like adding more stuff on. So, cool. um, and you know we're we're probably going to be launching with with Big King uh, like a separate service with like just some of our like 
individual all card items that like doesn't need to be ordered super far ahead in advance plus like sake and things like that um yeah the, the nama sake just landed like yesterday so uh we got like a, it's kind of an exciting time for me personally because right. like we've got six, six new sakes um that we only get like once a year um and we're excited to sell them uh stuff like that you know it's, it, there's always new stuff coming down the line so yeah and we're getting into the, like <laughs> it's funny like i was telling the chef at north now um who he, he's been with me for almost seven years you know i was like hey like i just heard that asparagus is gonna be like coming through this weekend and it was like oh yeah there's like still seasons right right <laughs> like yeah <laughs> it doesn't feel like that but yeah no um right winter's ending seasons, and we're like, getting into all the exciting food stuff that everybody's been waiting through all these dark dreary days for yeah yeah like you know some of my cooks are like out foraging ramps and stuff already right. it's like oh shit like okay like this is great um so yeah no it's 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 uh things are always always shifting so just like stay tuned and keep an eye out for stuff. Thanks for listening to Feast Your Ears today. You can find more and follow Big King at Big King PVD on Instagram, and you can order takeout at BigKingPVD.com. You can find Feast Your Ears as well as lots of other great shows at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach me via email, Harry at the Brooklyn Kitchen, and you can follow me on Instagram at the Foodballer. Talk to you next week. Feast Your Ears is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.